if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to an action-packed episode 17 of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. We're back from a very important international break at the end of which the World Cup draw was made uh, without Italy and other headlines. But uh, as usual, we're going to start with the Premier League action from this weekend, the 2nd and 3rd of April. The run-in has started in earnest and there is plenty to talk about. Uh, with me, as usual, are George Harker, the Leeds fan, who nowadays is feeling a little bit safer. It's all relative, isn't it, George? Yeah, I like these dull games. Good evening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, uh, as ever, Nick Gilmer, Man United fan, who's, uh, I think you've just stopped watching, haven't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, the season's over, right? Roll on August. And I'm Alex Gross, uh, Tottenham Hotspur fan and uh, your host. And I was very, very pleased this weekend. And indeed, I'm pleased as we speak because Crystal Palace are beating Arsenal 2-0 after 25 minutes as we record on the Monday Night Football. So we'll keep an eye out for that. And I have said for weeks on end that Arsenal would slip up somewhere um, in ignominious fashion. And uh, perhaps this is it. Well done, Patrick Vieira. Anyway, there's, there is uh, definitely only one place to start, and that is Stamford Bridge is falling down. Who saw uh, at least the highlights of one of the results of the season? Chelsea won Brentford four. Vidi Printer brackets F O U R. Yeah, the, the Christian Eriksen show as well, wasn't it? Christian Eriksen on the score sheet. What a story. Yeah, fast becoming one of the best free signings um, in recent memory. Yeah, what a yeah. turn up. And uh, going a goal behind as well. Who saw this coming? All goals in the second half, yeah. Tuchel said, uh, I couldn't see that second half coming. Not surprised. Yeah, I heard him blaming the international break, that old chestnut. Um... Yeah, so of course, there's the international break um, to consider. There's also one eye on Real Madrid in midweek for Chelsea. But still, um, that those kind of factors, they don't make players like Rudiger and Thiago Silva, who we've been we've been praising on here all season uh, they don't those factors don't make those players bad overnight uh, and so I just want to praise Brentford for that performance that second half performance they were great goals um, all in front of the away end as well which uh, made it look even better Ericsson involved what a story like we said we were talking about them being in real trouble um, around the time they signed him weren't we because they lost they did, they did manage to beat Aston Villa at home um, at the beginning of January, but they lost a fair few games in a row. And uh, now they've got this win at Chelsea to go with recent wins over Burnley and Norwich. So they're uh, very much safe, wouldn't you say, George? They're not going to get yeah. dragged into it. And it's basically Ericsson's that, that's done that. Absolutely. It didn't look like they were going to be as well. They lost five or six games in a row at one point. Um, but he is definitely the difference maker. And I've seen already seen rumours of him getting back to Spurs in the summer. He's obviously still got say, it. How yeah. long is his contract? It's just till the summer for now. Yeah. But uh, he's going to be hot property, isn't he, in the summer? It would be very difficult for him to leave club who took that punt on him, but uh, he's too good for Brentford. He's proper Champions League football, isn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah, I miss him when he plays like that. It's just fantastic. Great memories. It's a weird coincidence on this. I was reading how, not this week, next week, last year, uh, if you remember, Chelsea lost 5-2 at home to West Brom. Yeah. Um, and followed that up by, we're obviously winning in the Champions League quarterfinal, obviously about to win the Champions League. So, yeah, they've got previous with this. Yeah, it wouldn't happens. surprise me at all if they turn up and beat Real Madrid after that. I was going to mention a few because I have some fond memories. There was that... Uh, Defeat to Bournemouth at home under Mourinho when Mourinho mm. tanked it in 2015. That was a good one. There were a couple at home to Sunderland. Do you remember when Sunderland couldn't buy a win and they went to Stamford Bridge and won? Yeah, I do. It's yeah. about 10 years ago. Uh, then there's, of course, Bradford in the Cup. Bradford, yeah. I'll never forget that. I think that was 2016, <laughs> yeah. was it? The Charlie Adam 50-yard goal. They lost to Stoke. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just fantastic. Um, some of these results that and it comes out of the blue. Also, in terms of TV selections, BT Sport chose as the Saturday lunchtime game, Liverpool versus Watford. Uh, tried really hard to put some interest into it and sort of see some positives for Watford, but you just couldn't see an upset there. Um, they should have seen that it was going to be at the bridge, shouldn't they? I can't wait for the... Um, so the Real Madrid match midweek, yeah. will not tell you anything about where Chelsea are because no. they're very, very similar teams. But their Southampton away will tell you exactly how important and what this result means and if whether or not the rot's setting in already. Right, you're what, absolutely right. Yeah, anomaly. they've got Southampton away sandwiched in, in between two games against Real Madrid. Now, that's going to be really hard. And uh, George can tell us something about what Southampton have to offer in a few minutes. Yeah. But, um, maybe, maybe it's just a... There's nothing really to fight for in the league. Their top four is pretty much secured, you know, barring yeah. a disaster. Maybe they are just going to focus on the Champions League again. But you say um, barring a disaster, but they've got Arsenal, West Ham uh, and Manchester United still to play. So um, Arsenal plummeting though, aren't they now? Well, yeah. I, <laughs> this is the I, problem. I prefer right? Chelsea if, to win that one. <laughs> if, if two of West Ham, Man United, Arsenal and Tottenham were able to sustain a good month and a half of results... Someone would have caught Chelsea because they yeah. had they had this blip around Christmas. They were they they had some tricky fixtures in January. They've been brilliant, almost faultless since the Club World Cup. But yeah, they do right. go through a few weeks where they drop, you know, eight nine points, and they're not they're not uncatchable. The Chelsea wobble, we called it earlier. Yeah, in the, the season, Chelsea wobble. We? Yeah. Um. So fantastic result for Brentford. Uh, really good to see. They are welcoming West Ham next week, which should be a good game. Uh, we've still got to go there. Uh, Leeds go there on the final day, George. Hopefully safe. <laughs> uh, tough place to, to go if you need to get something. Um, so, yeah, a fantastic result. Was it the result of the season, would you say? Um, I've looked through briefly at... Um, and basically, you just look at who, whom the top sides have lost to. So you've you've got a choice of of uh, our wins against Man City, our two wins against Man City this season. Uh, I'd put on the shortlist. <laughs> um, you've done that before. That's not our character. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Palace's win at City, I think you'd have to say, was a big upset. Um, West Ham's win uh, wins over Liverpool and Chelsea, I yeah. think, were fantastic games as well. Um, Watford beating United and doing for Ole. Yeah, I was going to say you, you might be tempted to to uh, discount 
Manchester United results because of how poor their season's been, but still, I think well, it's a massive win. Well, what could Watford end up to... going down? If, and if also things... that also that Wolves win at Old Trafford, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, t- tactically speaking, anyway. Say Burnley've um, only got three wins. You'd have to say beating Tottenham was quite a big result. Mm-hmm. Burnley Tottenham, oddly enough, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> yeah, okay. What else? Maybe that opening day uh, Brentford win over Arsenal, three nil. I think it yeah. was the first oh, game God, back yeah. in front of the fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, um, the only one for me that I can't get my head past is actually not in the Premier League, and it's the um, FC Sheriff beating Real Madrid. Is yeah, feels like a glitch in the matrix. Absolutely, I I, especially <laughs> yeah. when you look at where Real Madrid have got to now. And you know, I fancy them against Chelsea actually going into uh, this week. Yeah, well, uh, you or we didn't a few weeks ago. No, but things have changed, haven't they? And. Mm. Uh, I think that's very much on a knife edge. Uh, Chelsea, perhaps having a wobble, uh, certainly difficult off-field conditions going into this tie. Real Madrid, top of the league, but that 4-0 defeat to Barcelona, shock to the system. Yeah, very much on a knife edge. Anyway, uh, let's move on to Sunday and uh, headline news. Five-star Spurs, who saw us uh, deliver this... uh, beating to Newcastle in the second half at least well top scorers in the league in 2022 so uh, <laughs> goals aren't hard to come by for Tottenham at the moment yeah um, I mean I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface my uh, my opinions on this game with the old firm just briefly because <laughs> um, and there's a reason for that I promise I'll explain but uh, Sunday lunchtime noon in fact uh, barely call it lunchtime um there was uh, an old firm with three-point gap at the top of the uh, Scottish Premiership uh, and in front of a full house. Um, I know, George, you, you told me you couldn't even pretend to care about it, which I uh, appreciated. But, uh, yeah, I did I did tune in for it, and it was it did start at proverbial 1,000 miles an hour. Um, Rangers scored a great goal after just three minutes with Aaron Ramsey and his first old firm quite heavily involved in that. But... Um, Celtic hit back straight away and then really took control of the game. And in fact, towards the end of the match, uh, the atmosphere wasn't even that great. It was all relative by old firm standards, but it was pretty flat because Rangers fans knew that uh, one goal wasn't even going to be enough because they had to win the game if they were going to have a chance of the league title this season. So, um, yeah, um, I, I mention it, though, because of the incredible tempo and atmosphere to that match which you expect and which is the reason why we tune in after all but then the start to the match at Tottenham later on in the afternoon was really the absolute opposite um it was sort of neither team pressing really sleepy um all the action came in the second half but you know first half um Fabian Scher scored from a free kick I think Newcastle hadn't done anything whatsoever um Carragher inexplicably on Sky called it an even game in the first half. I don't know what he was seeing. This absolute nonsense. Um, but, you know, having said that, Spurs weren't actually doing very much, but they certainly weren't under any kind of pressure or under any threat except for that one free kick. And uh, I got a little bit of stick coming through on my phone um, when we went 1-0 down. And I just texted back saying, we are definitely going to win this. Uh, I wasn't in any doubt. And I can tell you after 
going a goal down at St. James's Park earlier this season. Remember in the Saudis' first game after the takeover. Um, we also scored three, having gone down early to uh, some maximum goal. Um, I, I wasn't worried then, and I wasn't this time, and we've outscored them 8-3, um, I think, over two games. So, yeah, if there's, one, if there's one opponent that I'm not worried about going behind against, it's this Newcastle. And I do call them this Newcastle because I know they've changed, they've made some signings, they've put some wins together, but they are still a long way from being a decent team, believe me. They were really awful. Um, having said that, second half, in terms of things clicking, coming out, playing with more tempo, uh, Harry Kane dropping deep. Carragher's done another bit of analysis on Monday Night Football tonight about him, um, about Kane's performance, because he's a big fan of it and he's rightly praised him for it. I agree with him. Um, Carragher said he reminded him a bit of Perlo, the way that he drops into the centre circle and sprays these passes. My favourite player, as you know, was always Zidane. He's reminding me of Zidane in terms of the link-up play and just how much of an influence he has on a match as an individual. So that's why I always loved Zidane, because he was so reliable in terms of influencing the match as a whole and not just scoring goals or, or, or spraying certain passes, but just doing all of it. And now Kane really is one of the best number nines and one of the best number tens in the league or in Europe in one player when he plays like that. I know he had a sluggish start to the season and sometimes he doesn't play well, but in recent performances, that game against City, this game today against West Ham also the other week, just fantastic. And um, before you say it, Nick, because I know you will, um, he's not going to Man United, but um, it is just, it would be, an absolute travesty uh, for this man to play another season in the Europa League. So, but even, even if we qualify for the Champions League, which I think we've got a good chance of now. Um, yeah. I just think he's far too good for us. And uh, basically he's, he's, he's just an absolutely incredible player uh, who could do a lot for England in the world cup. He's got definitely got another world cup cycle in him in terms of age. And um needs trophies to to justify his talent. I wish they came uh, with Tottenham, but um, I can't see that happening anytime soon. It, it would take a long-term uh, project like Klopp has done since 2015 at Liverpool um, with a manager that was really in it for the long haul, which we're not convinced with Conte that he that he might not leave at any any given moment. Anyway, long story short, um, certainly wouldn't begrudge him uh, going somewhere other than our very closest rivals um, soon. I think he'll break all the records. Um, I think Carragher hit the nail on the head earlier tonight when he said there's something about him, maybe the trophies, maybe his loan spells early in his career, that means that some people doubt his quality or don't think he's that great. But honestly watching him like this in this form and in this role now making goals like this as well as scoring them obviously uh he's just fantastic so um yeah i've ranted on long enough about um his brilliance also want to flag up kulusevsky as being a fantastic signing son obviously always deserves a lot of praise and uh romero at the back i am falling in love he is so reliable Saw him in the flesh for the first time against West Ham the other week. He's just so good. Um, reminds me of Ledley King. And uh, there's no better praise than that from Spurs fan. 
So Do you think that um, Champions League football keeps Kane with Spurs this summer? That wasn't actually the point I was uh, pushing for, really. I, did. I think that uh, if we didn't qualify, like I said, it would be a travesty for uh, Levy to make him yeah. stay and for him to play another season in the Europa League because he's just so good. And um, he's already proven that he is good in the Champions League also. So there's no worries about that, about him excelling at that level or something. Um, but by saying that, I didn't necessarily mean that getting the Champions League will guarantee that he'll stay. Um, I don't think we can tell. I think maybe one factor that might help is the World Cup being in the middle of next season. He might not want to move a couple of months before it. That might buy us another season with him. But other than that, the reason I think I was, Conte helps. I think having and Conte, manager. of course. So. But the reason I made that little speech about him really was to say. Um, that I that I um, think he deserves everything he could get um, as long as he doesn't move to Arsenal or Chelsea, and I, I don't think I have to worry him about him moving to uh, Man United because they I don't think will be in the Champions League next season. So yeah, that was my point really. So let's get on to Manchester United, Nick. Um, Leicester at home. This was quite a controversial refereeing decision, wasn't it? There were a couple this week. Uh, Roy Hodgson's interview after Liverpool Watford was quite funny because he said, Why are they giving things where no one's appealed? And then on match of the day, too, they said, Well, this is exactly what VAR is for, is to give penalties um, that weren't seen. But, George, I think you feel the same as me uh, on the United one, which is that it feels like they were looking for any reason not to give that goal. And then they found a trip on uh, Varane, I think it was. Mm. Um, but what what had first appeared a great goal and Madison, wonderful celebration in the corner with the Leicester fans, everything. It looked like Leicester were going to get a win there. Yeah, um, it, it, I said at the time, a bit like cricket, where they go through the motions with the wicket just to see, you know, is there any reason... That it's not a wicket, you know, no yes. ball or something like that. It yeah. would be sometimes they say, is there any reason for me not to give the try? That was never the intention of VAR in football. It was about a clear and obvious error. That's what's been drummed into us, isn't it? Um, I didn't see any Man United players even appealing for anything. Um, the ball was back on the centre circle. And yeah, it just comes, it just ruins the whole, you know, for the team that scored, the fans that have celebrated, it's just... I think the penalty be... for Liverpool, uh, we would say, <laughs> was right, wasn't it? Because that was proper wrestling, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit of a rugby tackle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was probably was was correct. Um, I'm not saying, I don't know if my nice one wasn't, uh, sorry, the Leicester one wasn't correct. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it was a good few seconds before the goal and it's yeah. looking for a reason not to give goals, which is just a bit bit of a nonsense really because goals are why we watch the sport right yeah it's also a low scoring sport and I think this is a point mm. I made in an earlier podcast was you can't turn a low scoring sport into an even lower scoring sport because <laughs> you're trying to rule out as many goals as you possibly can um, and there are not really the same level of absolutes that you get in a lot of sports that have wholeheartedly embraced the technology like tennis and like yeah. cricket um, well so, that's the thing with that um, with that United Leicester one, isn't it? Because you just yeah. don't know where to cut off the passage of play that counts as leading to the goal. Because it felt quite long before the goal, but okay. Yeah, I think the less controversial one, and the one which would no one would have had any complaints about, was the McTominay booking. 
And uh, and then that's the other side of VAR, which is they're so frightened of overruling the referee. I, yeah. think, I think he's made the wrong decision there. In real time, it looked like a, a hard yellow, like an orange card, they say, isn't it? Yeah. But I think as soon as you've seen the replay, that's a red card. He should have gone and he was out of control and he was out of control because of a bad first touch. So how often do you see that where the ball skips away and someone dives after it? He should have gone and um, yeah, it didn't help, but he, it was uh, fortunate for United. So uh, the failure to win this particular match means that the momentum to get forth in the media, punditry and all that has, has deflated somewhat. What about you personally, Nick? Oh, I just cannot wait for the season to end. To be honest, I think um, I, I, I think Operation or well, Mission Critical now for United should be to try and avoid the Europa League or Vars yeah. or Shield or whatever it is. Because it, <laughs> it costs you 10 points a season, Thursday, Sunday. And, you know, there aren't that many good teams. There's an ex- you know, United will go deep into that, I would have thought. You want what Arsenal had this season. Yeah. No, fo- no European football. Yeah. 100%. And I think... Um, look at what it's done for them. I think uh, that's what United should be aiming for, a total rebuild under a new manager without the distraction. Obviously, a commercial organisation like United couldn't consider that, and nor would you expect them to completely be on the beach. But to be honest, they're they're out of control of it anyway. They're so poor, they they couldn't be any worse. Yeah, very, very interesting fixture next up, isn't it? Goodison Park, always a hard one for Manchester United. And then yeah. uh, Everton in complete disarray. If but Lampard again, loses that, who knows what would happen. But uh, you just feel like he might get it, might get the win there. United bounce from fixture to fixture and the match is completely dependent on the mood of the opposition. They're being mm. pushed about by whoever they're playing. Yeah. If you play a team in form, they're getting their pants pulled down. If they're playing a team out of form, then they might get lucky. There might be a moment of individual brilliance. So everything about the weekend's match depends on what Everton do midweek against Burnley, which is absolutely huge. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Big game midweek, uh, a game in hand that's been rescheduled. Burnley, 28 games, 21 points versus Everton, 28 games, 25 points. Between them, Watford on 30 games with 22 points. And we think now, uh, with Leeds a further five points clear, we think now that it'll be two from those three, don't we? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's massive, isn't it? Wow, what a big game that is. Um, I think Everton just needs to not lose. I think they'd probably right. be semi-okay with a draw there, right? Um, but yeah, that's a, that's. A, I think... It'll be the most watched Burnley Everton fixture yeah. for a long time uh, yeah. by a lot of neutrals. And Burnley have Norwich after that. So if they could mm. get a win, they've got a chance for a very good week to rise up that table. Yeah, all these games they stopped past the winter are now coming around. That's um, right. Yeah. Many of them at home. Yes, indeed. Yeah, with their lack of unsaw heating. Um yeah, big week. We'll see uh see who comes out on top. I mean, with us playing Watford as well on Saturday, it yeah. could with an Everton win, be almost done, that bottom three, by the weekend. But but we'll see. I see, yeah, because you're uh, rightly imagining a Leeds away win at Watford. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so George, uh, tell us a little bit about Saturday's home fixture against Southampton. The uh, obvious highlight was Ward-Prowse's free kick, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But what about the game in general? Was that a good point or two points dropped? 
I think so. I know Samson have had a bit of a bad run recently, but I still think they're a half decent, de- yeah. decent team. Um, and this was a very welcomed, calm one-one that I think a lot of Leeds fans' <laughs> hearts and stress levels needed. Um, no injuries. Uh, no, there were still injuries. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I've, I promised I wouldn't mention them. Um, no, I think it's a good point. Um, given if if we hadn't won the last two, or at least won the last two, I would have demanded a win at home to Southampton but I think you take a draw in that kind of game um, very little to talk about really very little happened uh, James Ward-Prowse's you know free kick which Jesse Marsh correctly said after the game is a bit like them getting a penalty if he yeah. gets a free kick you know anywhere near the penalty area which we stupidly yeah. cheaply gave them then you're the, asking the last it. time you felt like that watching a footballer thinking that a direct free kick was like a penalty was probably David Beckham wasn't it and he's probably the best since then. I, I can't think of anyone as consistently good yeah. as, as James Ward Prowse is now. He's, I mean, so did he's we got... not see uh, Cresswell score yesterday? Yeah. He's yeah. Very, <laughs> but very did you good. see, uh, who was it? Who, who was interviewed? It was Jared Bowen. He said uh, he's got a strike rate of one in 50. With <laughs> David Moyes said it was very long over Jim. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, Ward Prowse's no. strike rate is what's impressive. He's got three this season and 13 in the Premier League in total now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Beckham's record is eighteen, isn't it? Yeah, he'll, he'll catch that. I, obviously, a game is three o'clock on Saturday, so I get to watch yeah. it. But I saw the score alert, and you just know it's a free kick. Don't yeah, you? yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, like yeah, take that point definitely. But um, and Watford away, uh, just yeah, don't lose that game. If we draw that game, I'd be more than happy. Which says yeah. a lot about my expectations this season. <laughs> the only shining light from. Saturday's very dull. One-one. Truth be told, was uh, the return of Calvin Phillips, which yes. was uh, best part of a third of a year. I think he's been out for four months. So um, yeah, great to have him back for hopefully just to tie up a few more points um, and make us a bit more solid in midfield. Um, and Liam Cooper, who's been out for a similar amount of time. So yeah, lovely to have them back. Yeah, Jared Bowen and Calvin Phillips back is all good news for England fans, isn't it? Definitely. Um, they've got time to get fit. Now, we've mentioned Bowen and also Cresswell's free kick. Frank Lampard, another defeat uh, at his beloved West Ham. He said uh, ahead of the game that he was always at West Ham as a kid and supported them as a kid and then added at the end of that sentence, seems a long time ago now. Uh, just... I saw him smiling in his post-match. I don't know if he's realised the trouble he's in. Yeah. yeah, he was smiling a bit on the bench. I think it's he... all a big laugh, isn't it? It's just going perversely badly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he started to make very, very odd decisions. So he took Calvert-Lewin off when it was, you know, they'd just gone behind. Yeah. You know, they need a goal and they take Calvert-Lewin off for a midfielder. I mean, yeah. uh, he's very hilariously losing the plot. Um, and what a week, that Burnley game that we've talked mm-hmm. about and then United at Goodison, which, as we said, is their second biggest game of the season after the derby, isn't it? I think there's just something wrong at that club because Calvert-Lewin's done a big fashion shoot today. And I just think (laughs) that if you're in their PR team, that is not the Monday where you put that stuff out. Nope. I just, I think they are, they're in trouble. I can't believe we're still talking about them in a relegation battle on the 4th of April. Right. uh, But we are. And that brings me on to the comments that I could not uh, believe and certainly don't agree with from... um, Sunes, who's back on our screens for the run-in, I guess. So Sunes analysed that game, the defeat at West Ham, and he said he couldn't fault them on this occasion, at least, for effort, because they have been 
criticised heavily for that in some of their terrible results under Lampard. And Lampard himself, of course, threw his players under the bus for a lack of effort. But uh, Sunes said it wasn't a lack of effort or application. It's really just that they don't have enough quality. And immediately I was reminded of you, Nick, because you said you, you always said how much you uh, like their, their midfield and how good their squad is and how they have Richarlison scoring for Brazil and the qualifiers and everything. I just couldn't believe it because I think his actual quote was, they don't have the quality to actually win away from home to explain their terrible um, away record. But if there's ever been a team at the bottom of the league that does have the quality to get results uh, at certain grounds where they've lost recently, like Newcastle, Southampton, um, Spurs, 5-0, West Ham now, um, it's this Everton team because yeah. there's so much money being spent, so much talent in the squad. In this case, maybe it wasn't effort, but you've got to then point the finger at the manager, surely. And that's what somebody like uh, Sunes from our football, as he says, doesn't want to do. They've got, they're looking at the league table, they've got the best squad in the bottom half of the league, without yeah. a doubt. Without I think they're doubt. the best squad that I've ever seen in a relegation battle in April. I, I can't think of a better squad of players, best first eleven who have been down there at this time of the season. So now, if we had Sunes on here to uh, explain himself, which I'm sort of glad we don't, um, I, th- I think he might say, uh, given more chance to articulate what he thinks, that is the quality of setting up the team and of the tactics. Now, that we can agree with, that that is what's lacking here. But to argue that they don't actually have players of a requisite quality to win more than, I think, what is it, sort of single-figure points on the road all season. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I um, and, and you know that from the fact that if they do go down, six or seven of that first 11 at Everton will end up in the top 16. Yeah. Even, even if they do stay out, and losses are horrific. They're going to be having a clear out anyway. <laughs> and they could be in an even bigger trouble next season, especially if they keep Lampard in charge. Okay, welcome back to part three. Let's talk international break. It was a really important one with the playoffs, the qualification being finalised for the World Cup and then the World Cup draw at the end of last week. So the UEFA finals, first of all, semi-finals and and, uh, finals, that is. We had uh, middle of last week, Wales beating Austria. That really was the Gareth Bale show. Um, We've talked a bit about free kicks on this show. That one I thought was particularly good. Uh, Gareth Bale's free kick, absolute postage stamp, where only really he and Messi can put it deliberately. Maybe Ward Prowse also. But yeah, fantastic. And obviously it doesn't mean that um, Wales are qualified because of the whole business uh, with Ukraine, which obviously is more important. Um, Well-timed as well. Same day the Spanish media labelled him a parasite. It's pretty good timing. (laughs) <laughs> good, yeah, yeah, uh, good point, because obviously they, they were wondering how he was suddenly fit to perform for Wales and perform he did. But uh, yeah, Scotland still need to play uh, Ukraine in June, and then the winner of that plays Wales, but Wales did, have done all they can for now. Um, Portugal did make it through uh, against North Macedonia, who were in that final. Remember last show we said uh, there might be an exciting playoff final between Italy and Portugal in Porto, there wasn't because North Macedonia won in Palermo. And I was watching that game, um, fully expecting it to go to extra time and Italy somehow to squeeze through. But then with almost the last kick of the game, the Macedonians scored. And uh, 
Mancini had a face like thunder. Um, quite nice uh, schadenfreude for England fans, George. Very much so. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed that goal. What a goal it was, it was as well. Yeah, and I saw Benucci saying afterwards that maybe they enjoyed their Euro victory too much and took qualification <laughs> to the World Cup as a given. But when you think their last, I think someone said their last World Cup knockout game was the final they won in 2006. Their record yeah. of now qualifying and being in World Cups now is pretty abysmal. Um, That's right. I think uh, Richard Jolly on Twitter with the with the customarily humorous tweet saying Matthew Upson scored in a World Cup knockout game uh, more recently than Italy have. And that will remain the case until at least 2026. Yeah, 12 years without <laughs> Italians at a World Cup. I have well, to say, I'm slightly conflicted on this one because I do love the major nations duking it out. At I totally agree. You can't have too many of them missing out, but yeah. uh, the, the odd catastrophe like this is hilarious, isn't it? I'd, I'd rather it was the Dutch, but can't can't pick and choose. And we said last week, like, how does such a heavily seeded tournament where it's all geared around making sure that the uh, the big nations walk yeah. through how have we ended up in a world where north macedonia have knocked out italy before they even got to their playoff against portugal you're right um but uh we, we must remember that the the world cup qualification for uefa is still markedly harder than the euro qualification isn't it? yes the yeah. expanded teams but then um in the next World Cup, there'll be 48 teams. So this will all be a thing of the past, but uh, let's enjoy it while we can. Uh, down in Africa, I'm sure you saw the clips of the Egypt-Senegal playoff final <laughs> where nice. Salah played Mane and it went to penalties. Senegal obviously beat them in the African Cup of Nations as well recently. But Salah missed the first penalty and Mane scored the last. So uh, if the world is looking for a narrative around the next big head-to-head they've had Messi and Ronaldo and they're trying to talk up Haaland and and uh and Mbappe. Mbappe, yeah I have to say I think what Mane and Salah are doing in Africa is incredibly interesting it's a shame yeah. they play for the same club otherwise yeah. it really would have been talked up but what Mane has done for Senegal is even more impressive than what Messi has done with Argentina well you're you're always quick to lay into him or to take the Messi down a per- down a notch from his perch as a Ronaldo fanboy but he failed uh, to turn up this weekend so he's going I'm going off him yeah what was the reason this time unavailable was it another hit or no hip flex or whatever unavailable photo shoot yeah it will photo be shoot. to be honest you won't see much of him now he'll be looking for another job i think he'll be job hunting now, then we had the World Cup draw on uh, April 1st in Qatar, hosted by Jermaine Genus. That was quite funny. Um, I wonder how he got that gig somehow. But uh, yeah, what did you think? First reaction, good group for England, obviously. Favourable draw, which Southgate's relied on, I think, in previous tournaments, but that's not a bad thing. I'm all for a long England run. A couple of interesting fixtures. Quite excited to play the Iranians. Yeah, Iran did very well in the last World Cup, didn't they? They nearly yeah. uh, got something against Spain and... Uh, Drew against Portugal, was it? Memories fading, but I know I know they did very well. As long as it's not another Algeria 2010, it'll be okay. But uh, or another USA 2010, mm. <laughs> to be honest. And then, of course, it could be uh, Scotland, Wales, Ukraine. But uh, yeah, that would suppose, be the final match, wouldn't it? So it would be have... the final match. So, so you'd hopefully hope qualified. Yeah. yeah, you stick out the second team, but um, that's getting far too far ahead. England yeah. versus Scotland in the desert. I mean. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I have to say that is um that is my overriding feeling actually having seen it all broadcast from 
from Qatar that it's just depressing that it's happening and it's all this sort of artificial tournament all within a 45 minute radius of one of, of each other and in a place yeah. that is not fit for football it's all set up for England to win it win the most unpopular World Cup ever. yeah <laughs> that's a good point yeah outside um, of our group I'm very excited to watch the Netherlands hopefully not get out of their group because I think that's quite a tricky one for them yeah because uh, um, you never know how well Qatar might do. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, very much personally looking forward to Ghana getting revenge on the Uruguay. Um, yes, because you were there when it happened. I was. Yeah, I Suarez, Suarez announced his very gentlemanly conduct to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, some some, some big ones. Um, Spain and Germany in the same group, but passed me by. I didn't realise that. That's, uh... Spain and Germany in the same group. Now, I've... Uh... Like all good uh, football fans, I've brained out the uh, the way the World Cup's going on a spreadsheet uh, since the draw, of course. And I can tell you that the result between Spain and Germany in that group game will affect the entire character of the knockout stages. And I'll tell you for why. Because the winner of Group E will be eventually in a different part of the draw a different half of the draw to the runner-up of group e the group with spain and germany and the way i see it i'll cut a very long story short here but i have uh, semi-finals excitingly on my simulation i have semi-finals between argentina and brazil and france and either spain or germany so the reason i find that very exciting as a football historian and lover of the world cup is just the fact that you could have a South American semi-final and a European semi-final, which would be absolutely perfect in terms of World Cup history. I should say the quarterfinals that I have that bring that about are Spain or Germany against Brazil, who will then meet Argentina or the Netherlands, or as you rightly said, George, whoever comes through that Group A, it might even be Qatar if they have uh, a sort of host nation bounce, as we've seen before. And then on the other side of the draw, again, Spain or Germany versus Portugal or Uruguay is one quarterfinal. And England, France is the other. So depending on who comes out on top of the group between Spain and Germany, it will change the, uh, the nature of those quarterfinals and semifinals entirely. And I should add, um, it also depends what sort of form both teams are in because you never know Spain have gone out early of the last couple of World Cups so who knows they did well in the Euros didn't they uh, anyway I have it all heading to a uh, final on 18th of December week before Christmas between Brazil and France and since I've said already that uh, I think the quarterfinal is going to be France England you can mentally insert England into that World Cup final at your leisure at your wish what do you think any chance at all I've just seen the future and it's England, France and France win. Pogba in his new Real Madrid shirt celebrating, probably scoring the winner. Well, you had um, to make it about United. It's always he? about that. Well, he'll, be, he'll be long since over United and uh, waltzing through the Champions League group stages, I should have thought. But uh, yeah, I can see the English press going to town on a Pogba-inspired France. What a way to ruin Christmas, eh? Losing yeah. the World Cup final. That's going to be horrible. <laughs> Yeah, and of course the Premier League resumes on Boxing Day. So, like you said, George, it's Jesus. all set up for England to win the, the most inconvenient World Cup to renew hostilities only eight days later. Okay, welcome back to a short part four in which we 
preview the coming week, we've already done so extensively on that rearranged Premier League game between Burnley and Everton. That's going to be huge. But there's also the European quarterfinals. So let's take them in turn. The Champions League, first up on Tuesday, Liverpool travelling to Benfica and Manchester City welcoming Atletico Madrid. You were quite angry after your exit to Atletico, Nick, um, and you said that they wouldn't have a chance against City because they're just simply not, not a good team. Have you sort of um, slept on that a bit and think they have a chance now or still, still uh, no yeah, I chance? Think, I think City will have that one by the end of the first leg. I think the same with Liverpool. I think they're the two best teams in the tournament by okay. probably a close third. Fair enough. And then on Wednesday, we have uh, Villarreal hosting Bayern and Chelsea hosting Real Madrid. So, yeah, as we've said, probably Chelsea-Real Madrid, the only one of those ties that is uh, on a knife edge, you'd think. In the Europa League, then, on Thursday, you've got uh, RB Leipzig at home to Atalanta, Eintracht Frankfurt at home to Barcelona, West Ham United sensationally at home to Lyon, uh, and Rangers go to Braga to trash another town. Can I say that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> what do we think? Uh, the British teams to come through? Barcelona to have a scare in Frankfurt, maybe? Not in current form. They're absolutely flying, aren't they? Up to second. Have you seen that, Nick? Yeah. 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 Up to second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, George, George and I think that you said on this pod that they'd definitely not be in the Champions League. And you said that after Xavi was in charge, but you deny that, don't you? I deny it. I think I would never have been so stupid as to say something like that under a new manager when it was the Komen uh, regime that was sleepwalking in towards mid-table obscurity. Perhaps we can uh, ask one of our keen listeners to write in and adjudicate on that. Lovely goal from Pedri, by the way, if you haven't seen it at the weekend. Yeah, sadly no time today to talk about other leagues in Europe, but you're right, there was a huge game between... uh, Barca and Sevilla. Uh, Barca took second with that win. Next week, we will get to it, I promise. Lots to talk about. An interesting title race in Italy. Germany, Dortmund binning it again. Lost 4-1 this weekend. And lots of interest in Spain too. So, yeah, international break had to come first this week. But next week, we'll get back to that. Let's not forget the Europa Conference, uh, since it's so important. Bodo Glimt get to renew hostilities with Mourinho's Roma. That's quite interesting. After his, uh, what was it? 6-2 was the result. Um, Feyenoord, Slavia, Prague. And another Dutch team, PSV, take on Leicester City. And Marseille against Pauk of uh, Thessalonica uh, in the other one. So do you think um, Leicester have a chance? Roma probably the best team in it. Yeah, didn't you predict Roma to win it and Mourinho to put his medal in the bin? Something, <laughs> something along those lines. Well, yeah, maybe to throw it to a fan rather than <laughs> put it in the bin, but certainly you won't, you won't keep it. Yeah, And then next week in the Premier League, we've already anticipated uh, some of these things because we've said about uh, United going to Everton in a big game. But on Friday night, it's Newcastle at home to Wolves. So uh, Newcastle have a home game for the first time in a while. Uh, looking to consolidate their position as they're now nine points clear of the relegation zone. Arsenal at home to Brighton, hopefully licking their wounds from tonight at Palace, where they're still 2-0 down, just on the hour mark or so. Southampton welcome Chelsea. Interesting to see how Chelsea play that game in between two legs against Real Madrid, as we said. 
Leeds go to Watford uh, a few weeks ago, that was going to be um, absolutely enormous six-pointer, wasn't it, George? But now, as you said, it's probably just try not to lose it and you'll be fine. Yeah, hopefully. Spurs go to Gerard on Sky Sports tea time Saturday away at Villa. I hope that we can get a result there, especially since the Gooners did, but it's not easy. Brentford West Ham on Sunday, Leicester Palace, Norwich Burnley. Again, as I said, a chance for Burnley to pick up more important points. And then um, let's finish by talking about the, well, what is billed as a title decider, but probably isn't one at Etihad, which is Man City Liverpool. What do we think is going to happen in the game, first of all? And then what do we think the ramifications will be on the title race? Nick, first. Well, I've got to stick with the uh, the board. <laughs> prediction I made about three months ago with it, City had won the league. So I'm still staying with City because I think they've got more strength and depth. Um, yeah. But there is just a strong smell around Liverpool that they're about to do something quite notable, which is upsetting and deeply distressing. Um, <laughs> but they do seem to be getting their act together at exactly the right moment. Um, yeah. I, uh, I have to say, it's all very exciting. If, if I was a neutral, which I'm not, I can't quite get my head around both of them losing I don't think that's going to work yeah you're not a neutral you just hate them equally don't you yeah I think actually I would rather the ultimate neutral surely (laughs) I think I'd rather City um if only because the bitter inside me loves that Liverpool were robbed of a proper title when it all got ruined by COVID but you you also can't afford any notion of them doing a quadruple can you no um I can't actually I, I can't see that happening I have no. to say I think it's going to be probably one of them will get the Champions League the other will get the Premier League I think that's mm. what will probably end up happening and I'm just going to switch my phone off all summer yeah <laughs> I was going to say whoever whoever wins this game if there is a winner you'd want the other team to win the FA Cup game because you do not want a quadruple yeah. winner out of either of them that who do you the think player. will win the league game George I think they've been, I think Nick's right. I think something about Liverpool at the moment. I think Man City are they're a machine, and but I think I don't know. There's something about Liverpool at the moment. Their stride at the moment. They they're not conceding goals. Yeah, I think they may be maybe on the crest of their form a bit more than Man City. Yeah. Um, one 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 factor is also that it's between the uh, Champions League quarterfinal legs, mm, and mm. Benfica will you'd think take less out of Liverpool than Atletico will take out of Man City. That's one thing. The other thing is that it's at the Etihad. I'm not sure how much difference that makes. I think Nick will agree. Um, (laughs) um, But uh, what I would say is that with Man City having the lead by a point, and I look at their run-in after these incredible four games that they've both got, Champions League, then this meeting, then Champions League, then the meeting in the Cup. After that, they each play at home when the other plays at home and away when the other plays away. And looking at City's fixtures, I can only imagine them in any scenario really dropping two points. So I can't imagine them dropping any more than two points. And in fact, I don't think they'll drop any, as it happened in back in 2019, the last time they went neck and neck to the, to the finishing line. Um, and therefore, I think if Liverpool win this Sunday, Man City can still reel them in and win the title. Whereas if Mad City win this Sunday, I don't see Liverpool reeling them back in from a four-point gap. And that's not because I don't think Liverpool could win all their games, which are marginally, well, not marginally, they are significantly more difficult because they have the Merseyside derby and 
Manchester United. I know that both those teams are out of form, but they're always going to be difficult games when you compare them to Man City playing Brighton and Watford. (laughs) But yes, my reasoning is essentially that I just can't see Man City dropping more than two points. So if they took a four-point lead now, that would be unassailable for Liverpool. So it's slightly more, marginally more important for Liverpool to win on Sunday, and therefore they probably will. Yes, I like your I like your maths and your your thought process. I, I I do think Liverpool win this game though, and I think it will. I think it'll be a last weekend of the season job. What are their respective fixtures on the last day of the season? I'm yeah, they're interested. both at home, and uh, Liverpool home. have Wolves, and Man City very tantalisingly have Gerrard. Oh, it's a narrative. That, yeah. <laughs> wow. He would obviously be motivated for that. And speaking of the end of the season, my fears uh, slash. North London's fears about the powers that be moving the rearranged North London derby have come to fruition tonight because it's been announced that that game will be on Thursday the 12th of May, exactly 10 days before the end of the season, as I said. So from a personal point of view, I'm uh, really quite uh, heartbroken because that's the first home derby in front of a full house for five years uh, in our own stadium when you count the time at Wembley as well. Uh, and I'm going to have to miss it because I'm away in May uh, finishing my book. And I would have gone had it been in, on its original date or even any time in April. So I'm furious on that in that sense. But going back to what I said last show, I think ultimately it's going to bite Arsenal in the rear moving this game. Remember, they moved it at short notice in mid-January mm, yeah. when we were in absolutely terrible form, losing all those games to Chelsea and all that. And now, as we've just seen, uh, we, you know, we put five past Everton, five past Newcastle, three past West Ham. We're playing well. Uh, I think we're going to keep getting better towards the end of the season. And um, I think we'll win that game quite simply. And I think it'll be their fault. And I think that's glorious. So let's end on that note, shall we? And uh, we'll, we'll speak next week after the big game between Man City and Liverpool. And um Unless it's unaccountably a dull nil-nil draw, it'll be top of our bill. Uh, Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. And thank you, George. Very much. Good luck for the week and speak next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.